Welcome to True Paranormal, the podcast with your host, Leo Rizzuti. Every week we will explore such topics as ghosts, demons, poltergeist, haunted history, time shifts, cryptozoology, and other aspects of the paranormal through listener-submitted accounts, documentary studies, and interviews with the investigators that dedicate their lives to searching for proof of the unknown. So get a fresh cup of coffee, dim the lights, relax, and get ready for a short visit to the realm of the true paranormal. Hey guys, Leo Rizzuti here. Welcome to another episode of True Paranormal, the podcast. This week, we're not going to do a whole lot of mumbling and jumbling and rambling around. We're just going to jump right on into things. We were fortunate enough to sit down with Gavin and Paula Kelly of Paranormal Journey into the Unknown, which is a very successful television show that you guys need to check out on Amazon. And it was an absolutely incredible interview that they graced us with so but i did want to let you guys know we did have some difficulties on my side with our microphone kind of fading in and out and giving us a little bit of a fit so hopefully you guys will bear with us on that because the audio from gavin and paula's side was perfect and they are absolutely incredible folks so you guys sit back and enjoy the show with gavin and paula kelly Hey guys, Leo Rizzuti here. Welcome to another episode of True Paranormal, the podcast. Today we have as our very special guests, uh, Gavin Kelly and Paula Kelly of the television show, The Paranormal Journey into the Unknown, which Gavin, first off, before we start, I got to tell you, I love the title of that show. It it definitely, it sounds like something that, uh, that, uh, what's the ring announcer guy, Michael Buffert? What, what he would say, it sounds like the thing, it just begs to have that, that kind of announcement to it. But I appreciate you guys being on the show. How are you guys doing tonight? Well, we're doing pretty good, and she's uh, eh. <laughs> I'm 50 50 at the moment. Yeah, that's well, it. She's well, 50 50. Well, I, I promise, Paula, we, we will be gentle, okay? <laughs> <laughs> And uh, a little a little background on Gavin and Paul. Gavin, they uh, again they have the television show. Um, they have uh, you guys have released season one. Is mm-hmm. that correct? That's and, correct. Uh, and season two and three are in post production right now. Is that also correct? Yep, sure is. And the the neat thing to me is that you guys released um, season one on October thirty first, twenty seventeen. Which is yep. the which is the exact day that this podcast began? Oh, cool! Uh, oh, wow! Yeah, I, I thought that was neat. Whenever I, I saw that, I was like, "Yeah, oh, that's kind of that's kind of really cool." But they, um, but Paula and Gavin both have just tremendous backgrounds outside of the paranormal community uh, that you know we want to get into. But then also, of course, because it's a paranormal show, we want to get into a lot of the paranormal stuff. But, um, Gavin, we'll we'll start off with you real quick. So your um your first passion was not necessarily the paranormal, is that correct? You were you were really into the theater and obviously music because you're also a, a country music artist, right? Yep. Yep, that's it. Yeah, music was basically my main passion. Um learning how to play guitar and, and sing and basically trying to find my own voice. That was my main goal, you know, singing in a band and 
that's what I really wanted to do. I actually wanted to get up on stage and sing in front of thousands and thousands of people. So, yeah, everybody asked me, it's like, well, how in the world did you just go from that to paranormal? It's just like I did a 180. Right. That, that would that would be kind of my thought, too, because uh, I, I I can see, you know, wanting to be in front of a crowd. I, I've, I kind of had that background myself, not obviously to the extent that you had, but I come from a musical family and I always wanted to be in front of a crowd. And I know how I made the transition into the paranormal. But how, did, how did you make that leap? Because you, you were you're pretty heavy into music. You re, uh, recorded uh, some music. You had your debut album, I think, in 2011. Mm-hmm. And then you were, you were a regional finalist for National Star, which is a show that my, my wife used to watch a lot. And, um, and then you even worked on, uh, um, I think, Country Strong with uh, Tim McGraw and Gwyneth Paltrow. Is that right? Yep, that's correct. Right, so, <laughs> so how did how did you make that jump from from being in that environment into the paranormal? Well, I wound up moving from California to Nashville to try my hand at becoming a, an artist. And basically, like you stated, I was a regional finalist for USA Network's the Nashville Star. And it was the season three when Erica Joe won. Funny thing is, Erica Joe was behind me, and we talked throughout the whole thing during the audition and everything. We became real good friends, and next thing you know, she wins the whole show. But I wound up uh, working in Nashville for the longest time and then wound up moving to Kentucky. And I met up with Paula and her family, and due to my ex, we were actually family in other words and she became my best friend and they had a house fire and basically it uprooted some strange phenomenon here at the house um what i mean by strange phenomenon is she had like a bouncing ball that would bounce down the hallway everybody opened up the doors looked down the hallway going where's that ball coming from they had um old lady perfume that would start from the dining room and make its way down the hallway and dissipate if you would Put something in one room, it'll end up in another. So one night I was just bored out of my mind and I was just flipping through channels at my house and I came across something that was a night vision. I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. Maybe it's like a war movie or something. So I started watching it and I'm like, this ain't a war movie. It was Ghost Adventures. So I was like, this is pretty cool. So started watching it. And then Paula told me what happened at her house. And I'm like, that sounds similar to something that I've been watching. I've already like watched maybe five or six episodes. And I contacted the guy, um, Aaron Goodwin, on Twitter. And I kind of told him what was going on. And he's like, every single radio show, he goes, uh, do what we do. <laughs> right. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, just do what we do. Okay. Um, I've never done this before, but what do I need to do? So he kind of gave me pointers, what I needed to do. He asked, he goes, what type of devices do you have? And I'm like, I have a Sony Hi8 camcorder that runs on Hi8 cassettes. I have a digital recorder, which I use in college. I have a regular uh, digital camera. And he goes, okay, well, you've got the bare necessities. All you need to do is get yourself an EMF detector. And I was like, an EM what? 
the thing that we use in the show. Oh, okay. So I started doing research online and I came across a ghost meter pro and it is, you know, highly efficient. It's, it's economical, cost efficient, cheap. So I bought two of them. What the heck? And basically I told Paula what we're going to do. We're going to investigate her house. She's like, by all means, have at it. There's weird stuff going on. So killed the power in the house. We did an investigation, you know, just skipping ahead here and there. We captured what looked like an image of a little boy that popped up on the view screen of the Hi8 Sony camera while it's filming the bedroom. Uh, we got two EVPs. One said, leave me alone. And the other one's get out. And we got the name Frederick. Or no, was it Frederick or Freddie? Frederick. Frederick. And after the whole thing was over, she did research and stuff and found out there was a little boy that died of whooping cough here um, named Freddie, but goes by the name Frederick, because that's what's on his tombstone. And then we come to find out that him and his grumpy father were living here at the house. Uh And uh, basically, I took all that stuff that we did and compiled it into one little video and just put it on YouTube. I was like, eh, let's see what people say about it. Three days later, I was contacted by an independent uh, network and producer in South Haven, Mississippi. He's like, I just got done watching your video. And he goes, I am intrigued. You, you guys really were awesome. I've always watched you know, a lot of uh, videos and people are always sitting in a room, cross leg going, are you here? Can you make a noise? Why'd you die? How'd you die? You know, things like that. He goes... You guys were like on the go. You were going from room to room asking questions. He goes, I really like that. I want to sign you to my network. I'm like, okay. I and mean, what do you want from, from us? He goes, I want more of that. Can you give me more of that in episode form? I can try. He goes, good. I'm going to sign you. So at that time, we had a show called The Phantasmic Ghost Hunters. And this is all just because of her house fire. And we started going out and investigating all over. We actually had a team that we put together, which is basically family members, which are now exes. But they were all family members. And during that time, just for 13 episodes, we brought that network 40,000 plus viewers. And Amazon wow. Studios caught wind of that. And they signed us on as a new original series on Amazon. And we changed the name to The Paranormal Journey into the Unknown. And now it's just me, Paula, and two camera people. Wow, it's, I mean that's that's like that's like everybody's dream come true that are that are paranormal investigators or a lot of folks. Right. What you guys experience? That's that's absolutely incredible. First off, the the fact that you actually caught significant evidence on your first investigation mm-hmm. is, is significant because I know I didn't catch anything on my first investigation. It took me two or three attempts. Uh, but then also the, the fact that you got noticed right after that, was, that's, that's an absolutely incredible story. Oh, yeah. And during the time when we were filming for Phantasmic Ghost Hunters, we went to a place called uh, Carter's Mill in Simpsonia, Kentucky. And that's where we captured our first uh, apparition running. Running? Really? Mm-hmm. Yep. You can see it hike its leg on up and its arm go back like it's running. Wow. So, so was this, cause I, I'm trying to, I know apparitions 
come in a lot of different forms. Was this like a mist, or was this a full-bodied apparition, or or that full body? Full-bodied. Wow. And then the thing was, a lot of people have been trying to debunk it, saying, "Oh, well, it's light play." And I'm like, "There's nothing there. That's a wall, <laughs> right. and you can see it run." See, it was so cold that day. I mean, it was probably maybe 20 degrees, and you can see our breath, and you can also see like uh, it was kind of foggy. Mm-hmm. But when I pan the camera, you could actually see a figure running through it. Wow. So that was our holy grail right there. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, there, there are people who do investigations who look for decades for evidence like that. Mm-hmm. Boom. We were just lucky. <laughs> well, and that, you know what? That's what happens is, is you just have to be at the right place at the exact right time more than anything else. Right, exactly. Wow. Okay, so... So Paula, I, I know you you don't have quite the same background as Gavin. Um, uh, you kind of you kind of come at this from a, a little bit different direction. What's what's your background like? Well, I was I'm pretty well a Kentucky girl, all the way one hundred percent. Sweet tea, Southern hospitality, horseback riding, Kentucky girl. Well, you're, you're you're speaking my language, so. <laughs> I'm just waiting for her to say I like uh, long walks on the beach. No, I like <laughs> no, I just like my bourbon, my Kentucky Wildcat football, and and your tequila, and my tequila, uh-huh. and my horses. Yep. <laughs> okay, so so you were kind of a um, you were kind of a like a already before you got into the paranormal, you were into into history and research and things like that. Is that right? Yeah, my mom was. Um, local historical research lady for our hometown mm-hmm. and mom was already working on stuff and me being the only child and mom didn't believe in babysitters i went everywhere she went <laughs> <laughs> i mean my, my glory days of being a 10 and 10 11 12 years old is not like going to the local playground mom's going to the cemetery doing cemetery rubbings and researching people's history and i'm playing in a graveyard Oh, well, that's that's how most good old American folks grow up, isn't it? And so I've kind of just took up the reins of, you know, pretty well took up where mom finished. And and she did a lot. You left off. Well, left off. But mom did uh, our local cemetery here. She did intensive history and started on the chapters and started this whole analogy about a, about a 36-page book and donated it to the local cemetery, and she never got to be able to finish it. And recently, of course, I have never had time to, to finish it, and recently we have a gentleman in our local area that has took my mom's pages and has set them into motion, and she he has taken some of the characters that of people that was buried in the cemetery and has built on top of it and has brought history more forward to where people understand the cemetery more. So, wow, That's yeah, crazy. yeah. So I, I, yeah, it is. And so I've taken that idea and I've learned how my mom did her research strategies, and I took those and built my own research strategies based on my mom's little timeline. And I've done my own concepts of investigations on the history background and the. And the historical uh, documentations and 
everything and how possible the ghost stories or the legends of the locations and how they play into the history factor. So, so you're not just an investigator that you really want to dig in deep to the history of where you're going to be at and, and you want to find out what, what are the circumstances around it and things like that. Yeah, because if it says that there are ghost stories of a little girl on the third floor, then was there actually a third, a little girl on the third floor at that location? And I'll look up any documentation of possibly any tragedies, deaths, or something that would relate to a child being stuck there, or reasons why there would be a child seen. Right, and that's that's when when you do that. Do you do that before you guys do an investigation, or do you do it afterwards, or or how how do you handle that? It depends if it's kind of one of those stories that, I don't know, I guess I have my own personal radar. If it's a story that you're kind of like, there's a couple of red flags there, then I might check into a couple of those red flags before we go there. Then if it feels like it's a story that could be up and up, then I'll go in with the domination of surprise and then figure it out later. It depends on the location and how I feel about the story being given to us. Right, because I was, I was wondering because when when... When you guys investigated uh, your house, the um, you, you had the the experiences, and then you did research afterwards that well, corroborated I, the experiences. Well, I did do a teeny tiny little bit of research on my house before we did the investigation because I do know that my house is a hundred years old. Mm-hmm. And I knew my property was part of a big plantation at a time. And I knew all those details before we went into the investigation. And so I did have a little bit of history as in the age of the property and the age of the house and and the possibility of what we might be dealing with. But exactly what we were dealing with, no, we didn't know exactly what we were dealing with until after the effect. Right, which is, which is kind of neat because you, you got, it, it lends that much more credibility to what was the experience that it, that you were able to verify the facts as opposed to going in with the facts and say, and almost priming yourself to look for it. But yeah. Well, I know I got, yeah. Well, I know I got into to major detail effect of the history of my house all the way down to getting a hold of a great, great granddaughter that lived out in California who had pictures of the family and then she sent me pictures of the family that used to live because the plantation house is two doors down from me. Mm-hmm. And she sent me pictures of those of those families that lived there. And the little boy matched up with the little boy that we got in the in the viewfinder on the camera. Wow. That's really, really cool. So so were you were you always a believer in the paranormal or did you did, were you a skeptic and then became a believer or what's what's your background with that? Well, <laughs> I've always my mom was always a believer and my first very experience, well, there was kind of two, it's a toss up. Uh my grandfather passed away when I was 12 years old. And at the same time mom was doing family research on cemeteries and I kind of had a double standard on an experience. Uh, we had one experience in the house where we had, I inherited my grandfather's uh, blue front Amazon parrot that talked. And okay. so the bird talks all the time. And we had one conversation he had one day where he was talking to something in the air. And we had asked 
the bird, because the bird, you know, who you talking to, you know? And he goes, Daddy. And I was like, okay, well, the bird always called my grandfather Daddy. So we kind of figured out, you know, and occasionally we would get the old slucky strike cigarette smoke in the house on occasion. And that's what my grandfather smoked was the unfiltered, old-fashioned, nasty, lucky strike cigarette. Those have a very distinctive smell to them, too. Yes, they do. So that was kind of an experience, but the whole, my hope, my mom, my dad, and everybody's had that experience going on with the bird. The other experience I had was at a cemetery, and I was about the same age, 12, 13 years old. And we were at a cemetery. Mom was doing her thing. I'm just walking around, and all of a sudden, I was sitting down on a bench, one of those old concrete benches they have in the cemetery. Mm. And as soon as I sat down, I heard sound like a, a, a girl or something say, hello. And I was kind of like, eh, turn around looking. And I'm at the point, you know, you're 12, 13 years old. You're trying to, you're already kind of having that little weird feeling of being in a cemetery at that age anyway. So when I had that experience and then I told mom, I was like, I'm going to meet you back at the car. And I kind of just after that, I got into high school and I filtered into kind of walking away from mom's little scavengers. And when I got more involved in high school and the academic team and the, and all that stuff that, you know, life goes on. Mm -hmm. And then we fast forward. I see, I mean, I've always believed, I've always believed that, you know, is there a boogeyman in the closet? Who knows? But I was always skeptic on everything that was around on different things that happened on that situations and then fast forward to 2012 when I had the house fire and I started having experiences in the house. And then that's when I thought, okay, one of two things. I'm going crazy or there's actually something here. She's nuts. <laughs> well, everybody thought I was nuts in the house. It, it could be both. I mean, I'm just saying it could be both. <laughs> but yeah, the kids were skeptic because I kept hearing things and I kept seeing things in the house and I kept experiencing stuff in the house and at first it was just me and then I thought it was you know something maybe you know I was going through different things but I always believed that maybe my because see my mom I I lost her in 2002 and I lost my dad in 2004 mm -hmm. so I inherited my parents house so and like I said my house was 100 years old so I always thought maybe it was my parents because I always believed that, you know, you never know when a family member might pop in or whatever. And I still believe that today. And Gavin has even experienced it with my own mother being in the house. And he kind of met my mother on an accident one night <laughs> because she has made herself known a couple of times in the house. And I know it's my mother because it, I just know. And then, um, uh, there's just different things that goes on in the house at all times, besides our regular spooks that we have. But eventually, everybody else in the house at the time in 2012 started recognizing weird, strange things go on in the house. And it was not only me. And then that's when the house fire was in January of 2012. We investigated the house in November of 2012. Okay. So, in that time period, we were remodeling. We had gotten back in the house in June of 2012. Mm -hmm. And that's when we, then that's when I started noticing stuff. And then, uh, 
And then that's when the kids started knowing stuff was about in September and my ex-husband at the time and about September. And then that's when he started questioning stuff and he was putting doubt and stuff. And then when we had the imaginary ball bounce up and down the hallway, like someone was bouncing a freaking basketball down the hallway and everybody came out of their rooms. And at the time my brother-in-law was staying with us, he got up off the couch, went in the hallway. We all were in there going, Okay, where'd that come from? So, so there wasn't, so there wasn't a ball there. You could just hear a ball. Yes, going down the hallway. My kids don't have any balls in the house. Nothing to that effect. And yeah, that was when we started saying, okay, there's possibility of something's here. Let's check it out. Well, and this this is when you were doing renovations on it, right? Yes, after yeah, the which, fire. Which is the classic. You know, we've got an old house. We're going to change some stuff or we're going to update some stuff. And then all the activities all of a sudden kicks up. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. I mean, it's, the, the the thing that gets me is is like with the ball experience. You know, you a lot of times people experience things and they, they're by themselves or nobody else uh, sees or hears it, which is what you said you started off with. But that sounded like the whole family was right there just staring as as oh, they as the sound was going on. Oh yeah, everybody came out of the rooms. Everybody opened the doors going, What in the world is that? That would that would be really, really cool and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> wow. So when so was that about the time that you, you started that I guess what I'm saying, how do you how did you go from that to to actually doing the investigation yourself? Was it just that that Gavin wanted to do it, and you just started to like, yeah, let's let's do that? I was interested, or were you already thinking in that direction at that time? Well, look at kind of the whole house, and Gavin's like, hey, well, you know, and then we end up. He goes, well, you think the house across the street's haunted too? And I was like, well, I don't know. Let's check it out. So <laughs> I had we had we had friends that well, the house was empty, and we had friends that owned the house and. He's like, yeah, we can go over there and check it out. And he said, he said that he had renters that had problems up in the attic all the time. And he goes, well, well let's go over there. And, you know, and we were just learning. You know, we had just put the team together and we were learning. And he goes, can you do some back history on that place? I said, yeah, I can do some back history on the place and kind of find out that, well, the house doesn't exist anymore. It was torn down. But uh, the house was one of the very first houses that got built after the plant, the old man who owned the plantation house died and his oldest son sold all the property to make it into a, the, the little neighborhood that it is now. Mm-hmm. And the house across the street that was torn down was one of the very, 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 very first houses that got built. And so we went up there and kind of find out that the gentleman had five sons that when the gentleman that had passed away had five sons and his second oldest son is the one that built the house. So he had gave a little bit of property to each one of his sons. And then his other son sold the rest of the farm or the plantation acreage to other developers and turn it into the, the neighborhood. And so the one boy built the house and, and we went and investigated that. And I come found out the history of his wife and his child had died in childbirth uh the the child died you know soon after the baby was born and then the mother had passed away a week later Mm. wow 
in that house. And so we did get a few things uh, in the, especially in the bathroom. We had gotten an image of a lady that looks like she was holding a baby. Mm-hmm. Really? Yes. Yep. Wow. Yeah, what 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 is it about bathrooms? What is it about bathrooms that seems to seems to be a magnet for paranormal activity? I don't know. Is it the water pipes? Is it the is it the the metal in the walls? Is it the mirrors? It's it just seems like everybody when they have a house with any kind of activity, something's going on in the bathroom. Who knows? Oh, that's weird. But that, that's an incredible capture. Oh, we've gotten more in the bathroom too. In, in that same bathroom? Yeah, there was a point where... I mean, you've ever, you've seen the movie Poltergeist, the original, right? Yes, the, the actually scary one, yes. Yeah. Now, you remember when they have all those cameras set up to the staircase? And you have, yes. like, three cameras. One is taking filming one, and the other one behind it filming that, and then there's another one filming it. Well, mm-hmm. I did the same thing at the bathroom... And I've got one small camera inside filming the inside of the bathroom. Then I have my Sony camera behind it. And then I was using a Canon camera and I took a picture of the Sony filming the little small camera in the bathroom. There is a shadow that shows up on the view screen of the small camera. But it doesn't show up on the Sony night vision camera. And it doesn't show up on my Canon. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, that's exactly the same way how we got the the woman holding the baby too. Man, you're you're giving me goosebumps, Gavin. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's creepy. <laughs> yeah, never I've never had and I've and I've I've been I've been investigating for a long time. I've never experienced that. That's really cool. Yeah, we've only been investigating and filming for. How many? Six and a half years. Two thousand and twelve. Two thousand and twelve when we started. Yeah. Yeah, going on going on seven years, which is yeah. is I mean, a lot of folks get started investigating, and they, and because it's because it's an exciting hobby to have, they'll investigate for five or six months and then they'll stop. Um, to go on past even a year is it shows a dedication to to what you're looking for that puts you head and shoulders above most other folks. So it's right. just. I don't, well, I don't think a lot of people understand how much energy and how much time it actually takes to do investigation. Oh, I know, right? But when we did the uh, Phantasmic Ghost Hunters series, that was a whole new venture for us. And it was basically a learning process, too. We were actually learning how to be investigators and filming it. So people that watched the, sh- the first show that we did they're actually following along as we were learning. So whatever we were learning, they were learning too. So it was like a huge learning curve throughout the whole uh, season. Right. And you see, that's, and that, that's neat because you don't normally see that. You normally, if people put videos out on YouTube and things like that, uh, mm-hmm. or, you know, best case scenario, the situation you guys were in, you catch them after teams have been polished and they've been doing this for years and they know every little tiny thing that they're supposed to do. And they know how to, how to answer all the questions and they know how to debunk every little thing. And, but mm-hmm. you get to watch you guys learn and learn the process, which is, I mean, that's, 
that's not only is it entertaining, but it's also educational for people who are wanting to get into doing investigations in itself. Yeah, and then for the paranormal journey into the unknown, we basically show what goes on behind the scenes of uh, filming a show and doing an investigation. You get to actually see from the start of arriving to unloading, setting up, shooting the interviews, doing the walkthrough, placing DVR cameras, shooting B-roll, getting the drone in the air, um, and then finally setting up base camp and getting ready for the full investigation. So everybody can actually see the steps or basically what actually happened behind the camera before you actually start investigating. Right, which which you almost never get to see. You really, nope. you really don't. Uh, what, what what would you say then uh, would would be probably the biggest difference between a regular investigation and doing an investigation where you're you're doing a TV show at the same time? Because it sounds like you guys are just doing your thing, and you just happen to have TV cameras there. Yeah. Or, or do y'all do? Or is there anything else? That, is there anything different about it? No, that's, that's about it. We basically do what we do, and we have cameras on us filming at the same time. Yeah, I, I think a lot of folks think that there's a big production involved with it that they that they try to set up things. And it's I've talked to a couple of folks who have done televised ghost hunts, and that's mm-hmm. generally what I hear is that no, we just we just do our thing, man. The only problem, only difference is you get to go behind and edit and and you know take out all the boring hours and hours of nothing happening. <laughs> yep yep that's true well the other thing is we've gone to two particular locations in season one and the owners of those locations were just in awe when we rolled up we just showed up in a truck a five by eight box trailer mm-hmm. and we did everything ourselves in both of those locations the owner basically told us is like i'm surprised and I'm just, you know, um, and I'm in awe that you guys can do this. He goes, we've had actual TV shows that came out here, and they send an, a B crew out to go ahead and set stuff up, um, maybe not connect two cameras, maybe don't run at least two cables, and they get everything all ready to go, and then the A-team shows up, which is the stars. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of them will actually go ahead and set up the camera. One will run the cable. So it makes it look like they actually were there doing all that. Right. But you guys don't have these big crews and stuff like that. Nope. We do it all ourselves. Well, that's good. That's yeah. good. Because a lot of these TV shows, that's that's what they, they basically portray it as. They're doing it all themselves. That's, that's what you're talking about. They get... They give you the idea that that they're doing all this setup and everything themselves, and you know, if you've been on big, especially big investigations, you know that there's a lot more work involved than what they're showing on TV. Oh yeah, yeah. And the other thing is, they're there for a week. We have 24 hours to do our film, our unloading, our filming, investigating, and get out. We have 24 hours. That's what makes our show unique. So, so you guys are basically almost going back to what the original premise of Ghost Adventures was, which was it's just a guy and a couple of guys and a can, one camera guy going in for just a short period of time. 
but you guys are still raw. You guys are still very much in the in the middle of the hunt, and it's oh yeah, know, it's, it's a really genuine experience. Well, <laughs> Ghost Adventures never was really just three guys, by the way. It, exactly, and it, you could you could kind of tell that you could, but that's but I'm saying that's what that's what they portrayed it as. Oh, it gives it away at the very end when you're going through all the titling. Camera one, camera two, camera three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and in different names. In different names. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, if, if it was actually just those three guys, the credits would be about four seconds long, and that'd be it. Yep. It sure would. Oh, so, uh, the, the place you went to, so, I went to several locations in I mean, because you just went to four locations in the first season. Is that right? St. Albans and Old South, Pittsburgh uh, Hospital and Dallas Pizza and Monroe House. Yeah. We would have had a total of eight. But uh, due to that hurricane in, te- in the Texas, basically mm-hmm. it took out um, one of our hosting sites that actually had a whole bunch of our stuff on their servers. Wow. So we lost out on a lot of investigations. Some of them, we actually still have some of the investigating stuff, but we lost all of our interviews. We lost all our B-roll. We lost all our drone footage. But all we basically have is the investigation. We got nothing else with it. So we a lot of places that we have to go back to so we can do the interviews, get some B-roll, and uh, get the drone up in the air. Mm -hmm. Create the episodes. So then, so then in season two and three, which they're working on now, how many how many locations did you guys go to in those? Uh, Twelve in season two, eleven in season three, and in four we're working on. I think it's twelve. Yeah, it's twelve. Wow. Four. Right. Well, besides that, <laughs> we just uh, got greenlit for another show. Oh, really? Yep. It's called uh, Truth or Legends in Your Hometown. Amazon Studios signed us up for that. It's Paula's idea. She pitched it. Um, It took about a month and a half to two months for them to actually jump at it, and then finally they did, and they greenlit Mm -hmm. it. And uh, we start filming that in March. We've already got 32 teams that are helping us in the whole process of this new show. Basically, we get teams in uh, certain states in their hometown and they investigate um, locations where they can come to the conclusion that A, it's truly haunted or B, it was just based on a legend. Mm-hmm. So they're going to do regular investigating so they're, if it is haunted, they should have evidence. So we'll look at their evidence. See, we're not, we're not actually not going to be doing anything. We're going to be the ones filming it going to the team's location so we can interview the team members, see what evidence they got, and then we'll have a stamp that'll say true or legend that goes on the case file. Excellent. So so you guys aren't actually going to be doing the physical boots on the ground investigating then. You're, you're basically nope. going to be the experts. You're going to be the, the people who certify. <laughs> I wouldn't know about experts. There ain't no such thing as an expert or professional. Well, <laughs> That's that's true. I had I had somebody uh, a TV producer from Canada one time get in touch with me and wanted me to uh, to work with 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 him. And he said he said you'll be my resident expert. And I said there's 
There's no such thing. I'm sorry. There's just not. Yeah. But but you guys are the ones that would give basically basically give credibility to it. You you because you know what you're doing, looking at the evidence and looking at what they collected and things like that. Well, kind of, sorta. Say like when we meet up with a team, we'll I'll just throw this out here. We'll say, uh, uh, the, what do you want to say, Jim Beam Brewery or something like that. Mm-hmm. We'll go to the Jim Beam Brewery. We'll meet up with the team that did the investigation. We'll film the interview as they go ahead and tell us their personal experiences they had. Um, the history. The history. The alleged ghost stories or the legends that it's supposed to be told that it's haunted about the location. Yeah. And then because while we're doing that, we're doing back behind the scene footage because the teams are filming themselves on their investigations. And so the team, that's when we'll show some of the background footage of them investigating the location. And then at the end of the end of the segment is when they will talk about their evidence. Or if it was not proven to be haunted, they will talk about, well, why do you think it is a legend? And then we'll mm-hmm. go into Q&A on that. Yeah, and if, and if they go back into the location, they'll actually walk us to the particular area where they had their experience or where they captured their evidence. Yeah. <laughs> so, so would you guys, are, are they going to be doing like reenactments and stuff like that too with yeah. this show? Or? No. 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 See, that's the reason why when they have their evidence and everything's already done, it's filmed. Right. When we come in, they're just going to walk us to the area where they had their um, experience, and then we just overlay their evidence uh, video. Nice. No reenactments whatsoever. Well, I've I've never heard of a show quite like that. I'm 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 intrigued by it now. I definitely I'm definitely looking forward to that coming out because it's definitely something I'll be watching. I know that. Oh yeah, we're we're coming up with a lot of uh, unique ideas and and, and it, running with them. And at the end of the segment, the team gets to stamp the case. Is it true or is it a legend? Yeah. And we actually have full-fledged stamps where they actually stamp the case. Yep. Nice. Nice. But we're looking to get a a total of 40 teams. We're at 32 right now. We're still looking for more states. Uh, We're working on Mississippi, Alabama. Georgia. Georgia. Uh, Well, I I got one for you guys in Alabama. For sure. Okay. Uh, and we can have more than one team in that same state because we most of our states we have at least two teams in each state. Two or three, yeah. Yeah. Well, we've we've got a, a a group of investigators that we deal with a lot here at True Paranormal uh, <laughs> that are based in Alabama, and they are they are super professional. And you know, I'll, I'll put those guys in touch with y'all. I mean, they they okay. get a thrill out of that. So. Cool. Good. Sounds good. Yeah. So what would um what would you say and this is for both of you guys what would you say was your scariest experience uh experiences then uh doing investigation or or, or even most memorable because sometimes the most memorable ones aren't necessarily the scariest ones but they're definitely the ones that just kind of stick out If I tell you the scariest ones you're going to have major goose pimples and maybe nightmares Oh I look I look forward to that <laughs> <laughs> All right um we were investigating and filming for an episode of the Paranormal Journey into the Unknown at a place called the Industrial Slaughterhouse in Fancy Farm, Kentucky. Okay. And uh, this place is basically used as a haunted attraction during the Halloween season. And uh, something is there. Um, we went in and filmed. 
And we had a few things happen, which was just kind of odd and but yet strange. Um, my camera guy at the time was uh, filming us while we were doing um, an EVP session and also using Ovulus 3. And all of a sudden, he just looked at us and he's like, dude, I, I got to get out of here. I got to go. And he just dropped the camera and left. We go and find him laying down on the asphalt in the parking lot. What? And we're like, dude, what what happened? He goes, I've never felt anything like that in my entire life. He goes, it felt like something reached through the wall, reached into my my into my body, and just started pulling me away. And I started seeing my life flash before my eyes. I'm just like, oh, wow. So finally, he regained his composure. He sat up, and he just kept on telling us that you know that that it happened. So, but he builds up enough courage. We go back in. We finish up with the investigation about four o'clock in the morning. I pass out on the uh, the mass table, and when I woke up about five thirty or so, the, I was spinning. The room was not, but I was. My equilibrium was off. I couldn't walk. Paula had to help me get up and walk out of the building. When I got out of the building, go to the truck, I was better. So I'm like, that is just odd. I don't know. I can't explain that. So then we're getting ready to leave. We're all getting smudged and to get way to ward off all negative whatever is on us. Mm -hmm. And I was telling my camera guy, I go, dude, my fingertips are tingly. He goes, well, that that means you're you're losing the negativity. Okay, well, whatever. And after we're done, I look at my fingertips and they're bleeding. I'm like, dude, my fingertips are bleeding. What the hell? So I like run outside the door. Paula's like, what? I go, look at my fingertips. She goes, look at your fingertips. Look at your face. I'm like, what do you mean look at my face? So I have to go around the building to the bathroom, and my face was clawed. What? Yep. It's all on. We put. We did a video in the bathroom. I told uh, my camera guy to go ahead. We got to get this on film. So he turned on his camera on his phone, and he filmed it. You can see the blood on my fingertips. You can see my face is clawed. So we wound up telling the owner what happened and what we experienced. And he's like, I ain't going back in there. <laughs> no, I don't, I, I don't blame him. So <laughs> we come to find out that there were two girls from another location that came over there practicing witchcraft. And they were just probably playing around, but they conjured up something. Mm -hmm. I told a friend of mine who is a pagan priest. I told him about what happened when I woke up at 530 in the morning and I was spinning. He goes, oh, you just experienced a vortex. I said, a what? He goes, a vortex, a portal. Really? He goes, yeah. Anybody that is next to a portal will feel off kilter. Their equilibrium is off. The room is not spinning, but they are. So I'm like, okay. So I started telling him what happened. And he goes, yeah, they're, well, the thing that happened to your cameraman he goes, it sounds like there's a grim there, a soul stealer. I'm like, oh, this is too heavy. <laughs> so we wound up meeting up with another team, and we went back. It was like maybe a month later we went back. And during that time before we went back, I was talking to my friend as a pagan priest, and he was telling me what we need to look for. Um, he said we need to look for hex bags. We need to look for witches' talismans. We need to look for just 
anything dealing with witchcraft. And sure enough, when we got there, we went in, we found two hex bags, we found a talisman, we also found a tote or a foot locker with mm-hmm. a periodic dress in it. So, but before all that, let me step back just a little bit before we went back in there. We went in there and started looking around in this one particular room to call it the mechanical room. And this is a room that we've never investigated before. So we were in there and there were five inch deep weld sockets getting thrown at us. Really? Yeah. And I didn't think that was the thing to, you know, to put the icing on the cake until we brought the team in with us. And they were like, oh, there's nothing here. You know, we've been here for three hours. We ain't got nothing, no evidence. And right when they said that, they got deep weld sockets thrown at them. And wow. we, yeah. We had an investigator that was with us that was sitting on the floor next to the area where we found one of the hex bags. And you can see her head get slammed backwards into the, the workbench. And if that wasn't it, when she gets up, she's like, what is your problem? What, what, are you, what, what, what is your problem with me? She gets sucker punched in the stomach. And you can see this on the thermal. All the women were getting upset stomachs. My camera guy was getting so pissed off because at the time he was kind of involved with one of the uh, investigators. And he goes, this tote is doing it. So he has picked up the tote, the footlocker, and he's dragging it out. And like he told me, he said, during the time of dragging that footlocker out, he was getting punched in the head, kicked in the stomach, jammed in, uh, jabbed in the side, kicked in the leg by unseen forces as he's pulling that sucker out. What? Yep. Oh my God. So what we ended up doing was taking the hex bags, the talisman, and the tote, and we set it on fire to get rid of everything. It took 30 minutes for the stuff to burn because it refused to burn. And finally, when it started burning, we heard this awful sound and awful, and we smelled an awful smell. But it finally burned and it's gone. And yeah, nothing is there anymore. I haven't heard anything. Wow. But we are going back in May to do a, a second sweep on it to make sure that there's nothing there. That's one of the most incredible experiences I've ever heard of. Yeah, but the stories, they even go even further, Paula. Tell them about <laughs> the girl. The reason people getting bit. One had to get institutionalized. Oh, yeah. There has been several, several, several. It's been going on for about four or five years now. Every time they would do the uh, haunted attraction, which they run the haunted attraction for the last week of September all the way to October the 31st. And they have had girls go in there and only work one night, not come back. Right. And because they would have unexplained experiences, and we've had mystery bar, uh, mystery bites where, and then we're not talking about the people that work there. We're talking about people that walk through the attraction, uh, uh, guests and visitors. They had one gentleman that come out, and he had the stinging sensation, and right underneath his arm, and it looked like a big, huge bite mark, like a. a Someone had came by and just bit him really, really hard to where, you know, he had the indention. 
of a bite underneath his arm, and there was no way he could be able to do it himself. And we've had a girl who had a... How do I explain? She was she was one of the workers there, and she was in a, a spot in the uh, in the in one of the attractions, and she was there by herself in the attraction, and she had an experience. She, in, in my understanding, is that she said this thing came out behind an old old TV and went towards her. Climbed and, over the TV. Climbed over the TV and went towards her. And it, she said it felt like it just like walked through her and walked out the other side. And she, and then after that, she felt really, really funny and she felt really, really weird. She can't, she went out the buildings and upset, uh, scared. And she basically called her mom and her mom came and got her. The, I mean, the whole, the business wasn't even shut down for the night. And so the next day or so, the mom called back and said her daughter was not going to be coming back. And she said that her daughter started having nightmares and started having strange things happen to her after that night. And eventually he, she had to end up putting her in a, it's like, it was not really a psychiatric ward, but it was a place for her to get a little bit of help and some evaluations and they ended up having to put her on meds. She started having night terrors and a whole bunch of things. And, and that girl will not even go down the street. She actually lives in Fancy Farm. She's trying to, she tried to encourage her mom to sell her house, sell, to move out of Fancy Farm. She won't even go down the road to where the attraction is. Wow. Uh, uh, there has been several incidents where people have seen people walk through the walls there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there has been a growl, like there's a vicious dog. Yep. Uh, being growled at down one of the hallways. Some people thought it was part of the attraction and couldn't find out there was no dog relating anything dog related whatsoever at any of the attractions. Yeah. Uh, we've also had the experience of getting a nail thrown at us. Yeah, we had a nail thrown at us. Uh, we had the walkie talkies. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, the next morning, we were getting ready to pack up. That was, that was uh, after I had my experience with the vortex. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, actually, it happened twice because we were witnessed when we when we went the first time. We had the incident happen with the walkie talkies, mm-hmm. and then and we the came back time. the second time. We had walkie talkies, and it was just not me and you that heard it that time. Everybody, everybody heard it. heard it the second time, and we would go outside to see if the walkie talkies were having an effect off maybe one of the neighbors or something, or baby monitor, or, or a baby monitor was interfering in or something. As soon as we go out of the slaughterhouse, the baby, mo- the walkie-talkie would quit, and it would be no, nothing would come across it. So as we go back into the wa- to the slaughterhouse and set it down, we would start having strange things happen. Yeah, a little girl. And a little girl. And a dog. And a dog, and the dog would start barking and growling through the walkie-talkie. Mm-hmm. And then we'd have the little girl. She would start saying, and she would start singing. Ring around the rosy. Yeah. Creepy as hell. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's like the creepiest thing I've ever heard of in my life. <laughs> and so, and the deal is, we weren't the only ones, and we are all trying to debunk it. Don't you stop? <laughs> we all tried to debunk it, and we were going through everything we possibly known, and there was like a total of eight of us, and we all heard it, and we were trying to figure out where it was coming from. Trying to figure out what it was she was saying. And... We had to where we finally got her to start talking to us. Yeah. 
And she started describing where she was at. And we figured out what attraction she was at. And she was talking about the bed. And the little we, girl's room. The little girl's room where the bed is and where the little girl's laying on the floor. Mm-hmm. And we went in there and that's when we started getting all kinds of activity. Uh, we had the uh, eddy and we had the mail meter go off in there. The mm-hmm. eddy go off in there. And we had all kinds of activity going in that little room. Yep. Wow. Got goosebumps already? That's mine. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> so what, why did why did they even put up an attraction there? Why don't they just lead people into it just like it is? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> there's, there's nothing they could do attraction wise that can top that. Well, during the attraction, there's a lot of weird things that happen too because there's people that the talent is in there. They have been tripped. One of the girls, which is now on our team, she had been run up on, pushed into the wall like. She'd be held there in the wall, and it would not let her go. Um, there's been times when it comes running up behind her. I mean, uh, the pe- the part of the attraction employees would be getting their hair pulled. They had stuff yeah. get thrown at them. Uh, <laughs> there was just to the point of they were getting worried about their safety, and that's when you know we got called in to check the place out, and we just. Didn't know we were planning to get more than what we bargained for. <laughs> no, well, no it, that doesn't sound. No, nobody would go into that kind of environment expecting all that, all that to happen. I mean, I've heard about you know different small stories of people getting their hair pulled, which is you know that's. I've, I mean, I've been to several places where we had been touched and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So that was not unusual. Maybe getting your hair pulled or you've had people had seen things or they had talked to somebody and come to find out it was not actually a human being. It was a spirit. So those are the stories I had heard is the reason why we wanted, I wanted us to go. Mm-hmm. And then when we went there, we found out a whole lot more. And then we started having these people come out of random and started telling us all these kind of things. And then after we went there the first time we started having people that were passed in pool employees mm-hmm. that has started contacting us and telling us more stuff and telling them us specific things that were going on inside the slaughterhouse that we need to go back and check out. And then that's when we decided to go back because we found out there was a whole lot more to this whole story than what was being originally said. Yeah. One of the sad things is while we were in the uh, maintenance room where all of the activity happens with the sockets, Mm-hmm. I'm standing next to a wall that is littered with power tools. <laughs> yeah. You have, you have the fear of final destination. In but your we head. did have the, the weed eater fall. Yeah. The weed eater get thrown off the wall. Yeah. He fell it, off the it wall. fell off the wall. <laughs> yeah. We were like, oh, great. I'm just like, oh, my God. They had saws up there. They had drills up there. They had a chainsaw up there. I'm like, this is oh, a great oh, place oh. for me to stand. Yeah. You, yeah, you picked the perfect spot. I did. So, yeah, I'd say that was the most scariest. But in all of our years investigating, you know, I have been pushed, tugged, tripped, slapped, kicked, scratched. Um, I haven't been bit yet, but I have haven't been, uh, well, I haven't been spanked. That's a good one. I haven't one. been picked up and thrown yet. Yeah, I haven't been picked up and thrown yet. Which you ever been, you ever been punched? Because punching punching is a lot of fun. No, I haven't been punched, but I have been jabbed. Yeah, punching punching feels great. It's cold and hurts and just yeah. No. I mean I've actually I've actually experienced uh 
I'm still on the fence on this one, but we were at the Benton Farms in where the heck is it? Walden, Kentucky. Walton, Kentucky. Yep. And it's a haunted farmhouse. And we had investigators up in the attic. And I wasn't feeling very well because, you know, like we stated earlier in the show, we do everything ourselves. We don't have another crew or anything. Well, I basically wore myself out and I was kind of weak and everything. Well, you were also getting over being sick, yeah. too. So, so I, w- I wanted to lay down while they went up there to do their investigation in the attic. Well, across the dude's gateway, that's like a spirit box, it said, Gavin. And right when that came through, I experienced what I feel was a heart attack downstairs where I was laying. And I couldn't get up. I couldn't walk. I had to crawl all the way to base camp to get my radio and tell Paula to come downstairs because I, I, I don't know what's going on. So I'm thinking either A, it, whatever entity was there wanted me to experience what it felt. Mm-hmm. That leads me to believe that I'm a an empath, is it? That that would be an empath, yep. Or something gave me a heart attack. So I have no idea. But that was that was scary for me. But yeah, that was yeah. also while we were there, we were outside. Oh yeah, that's when, well, that's what after that happened. Yeah, where I had to go out to the truck yeah. and you ever. I'm sure you have, but you've seen the movie Evil Dead, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, when evil's about to approach, it goes, and then, yep. you know, yeah. Well, we were outside, and we heard that, and then we heard what sounded like the largest boom ever. And either it was, A, on the, on the side of the house, inside, or it was the window because it was pissed that we were outside. And then afterwards, we had a fellow... I don't know how to explain this, but he decided to be a little bit brutal. Oh, yeah. And he yelled in there, and he goes, oh, watch this. You want to see it really get pissed off? And I was like, oh, no, what are you going to do? He goes in there and says, he says, Jesus. Jesus. And then we'd hear this woman go. We hear a woman's laughter. <laughs> oh. I was like, oh, God, thanks, dude. And we have to go back in there. Yeah, exactly. Appreciate that. Yep. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. We've, we've been to a lot of crazy, crazy places, had a lot of crazy activity. Uh, one of the ones that truly sucks is we went to the Farrar Elementary School in Maxwell, Iowa. Mm-hmm. And we had an investigator with us that we invited, and he told us. Um, he's like, yeah, my team came out here, and uh, we went ahead and crashed above the gymnasium. So that's where we went to sleep. And he goes, we basically were woken up, I don't know if it was about 11.30, midnight or something, to sound of a basketball game. And he goes, everybody jumped up and run downstairs thinking that someone broke into the school and is playing basketball. And uh, they get to the gymnasium doors, fling them open. It's nothing but vast darkness, and the basketball sound stopped. So I'm like, that pretty cool so we were in base camp now we didn't have a camp inside the building we had a well you could actually put three full-size queen air mattresses in the tent so we had our base camp outside in a tent Mm -hmm. 
And I was experimenting with this device called the ghost helmet that a buddy of mine had put together. And it's really cool because it has four magnets on each side of your ear that fires off into a sequence. And you also have the LED lights in front of you that is also uh, firing off in a sequence. And if you close your eyes, you start seeing things. You start seeing shapes and colors and all that. Well, on the table next to the DVR system, I have my double jersey box. That is just cycling. It's like a um, an SB7 on crack. Right. And all of a sudden, I take off the helmet, I put it on the stand, and then you hear, Gavin, like that, right across it. And I'm like, oh, sweet, that thing said my name. And all of a sudden, a sound of a basketball kicks in. And the guy that was there that I invited, he's like, that's what we were woken up to. That's the basketball game. I'm like, really? And we're standing there. We're all standing around it, and we're listening to it. And it just keeps on playing. And you can hear the sneakers squeaking on the floor. You can hear the slam dunks. You can hear people running up and down the bleachers. You can hear the announcer, the buzzer. If you listen carefully, you can hear what appears to be a pep band. But... There's no cheering. There's no applauding, which is really weird. That's that's part of it. Yeah. So I pick up the box, and I'm like, "We're going to take this into the school." He goes, "It's going to stop once you get to the gymnasium doors." I said, "Well, let's try it." So we carry it. We're going downstairs. It's still playing, and he's looking at me, going, "Yeah, it's it's going to stop." He goes, "I will be totally shocked if it keeps going." We open up the doors, vast darkness, it's still going. So I take the box and I put it down in the middle of the floor. And right next to it's like a big wheel or a tricycle or something. So I put my digital recorder on the seat of that. And uh, this is what you're going to hear. Watch out. EVP session, Paula and Gavin, the gymnasium. There is an actual basketball game going on, and we are hearing it on our box. We've heard the buzzer. We've heard an announcer. They're just slammed up. This is amazing. We're listening to an actual basketball game. Who is winning in this game? You heard the buzzer? So to make this even more interesting, I went ahead and put the uh, the eddy on one side of the court mm-hmm. and a vibe on the other side of the court. And I set the cameras up to film it. And you can see if something is going across the other side of the court, well, the lights are lighting up on the geophone and then they turn off because they're lighting up on the other side of the court. So really? we were actually watching a phantom basketball game. And right. I mean, I, I was going to ask you if you thought it was, um, if it was uh, residual 
just like almost like a stone recording of that or if it was actual spirit activity going back and forth but that that tells me it was spirit activity i no i think i'm gonna lean toward residual mm -hmm. due, due to the fact that there was no activity throughout the entire school until the game was over oh okay yeah that <laughs> yeah that makes sense that makes sense but here's the thing we had so much activity um we had Cheryl Ann Fletcher, which is a, a psychic medium. She was asking questions about the principal and the janitor. And we were in the boiler room and we had the Eddie sitting on a bucket. And you could see the geophone lighting up like something is walking down the hall towards the Eddie. And uh, Paula got her pinky pulled. My camera guy got a J carved into his back. Ooh. And. It's just really strange things were happening. The activity was off the charts. Now, whenever we go to a location and we're filming, this is what I normally do. I will take the camera out to base camp, take the card out, dump the file, put the card back into the camera, and go back in. This location, I went ahead and just took the cards out and left the cameras there. Because I wanted to dump it real quick and go back because we were just having so much activity. I didn't want to want to miss anything well lo and behold on doing that all of our footage from inside the ferrar has been corrupted the only uh -huh. thing that we actually got to walk out of there with was uh, the drone footage because it was outside some of our footage that was shot on the grounds but anything inside the school gone uh -huh. all, of all of it we're looking at 675 gigabytes of footage gone whatever was there would not let me take the footage wow but this recorder after i got done doing the recording i took the recorder and put it in my pocket carried it out to base camp and left it at base camp that's how i'm able to have this recording could have i bet you if i would have left it inside they probably would have erased it well, well i'm i'm glad you did because that's one of the most absolutely impressive recordings i've ever heard mm -hmm. you heard it it was a basketball game, was it not? That that's absolutely what that was. That was one hundred percent what that was. Yeah. I mean, that's that was absolutely incredible. I mean, and I I didn't really react to it at the end because I was mostly in shock. <laughs> yep. But it went on for a good forty-five minutes, wow. and it was truly amazing. It's like, oh my god, are you serious? So. I've ever come across, if not the most impressive. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'd say that's our best EVP we've ever. Well, I wouldn't say it's the best one we ever captured. We were at Waverly Hills doing um, a group event. Basically, we invited 10 investigators to come out with us. Mm -hmm. And we're going to film them investigating Waverly Hills. So this right. was not just for us. We wanted to film how other people investigate. So that way our viewers can actually see how other teams investigate. So maybe they have different methodologies or the way they go about investigating that differs from everybody else that is there. I mean, we had people from the UK um, that flew all the way out to be on the show. And, you know, we got different states here in there, Ohio. Uh, Massachusetts, things like that. So 
one of our investigators was with us in the, the death tunnel. Mm. And all of a sudden, she's got an EVP that says, there are no ghosts here. What? Yep. It's <laughs> that, not going to convince anybody that there's no ghosts there. <laughs> that, that one blew my mind. And then besides that, the thing that's really cool, this was my second time to Waverly Hills. The first time I went, um, I was there with another team that we invited out. And this is when we went as the Phantasma Ghost Hunters. And I was walking, about to walk into the morgue on the first floor. And the investigator, Eric Smith from Darkness Paranormal Society, was using the SB7 and the Altec Lansing. He's got his hand on top of the speaker. And he's like, what room are we in? And they said, morgue. He's like, all right, cool, cool, cool. And, you know, he's getting all goody like a little kid in a candy store. I step one foot over the threshold and it goes, Gavin. He's like, dude, it said your name. I'm like, sweet. I was kind of scared at the same time. But this time when we went back for the paranormal journey, I had a device that I was using from a friend of mine in uh, the UK, uh, Brian Holloway. It's a program called Speculo. And basically, I turned the sucker on. And I asked a question. I said, what room am I in? And I'm actually laying in the body drawer when I said this. Ooh. And comes up and says, morgue. I'm like, okay, that, that's good. That's good. Um, I was here maybe four or five years ago. And you said my name when I walked through the threshold into the morgue. Do you remember what my name is? And it said, Gavin. And three oh. recorders picked it up. Two cameras picked it up. Oh, my God. They still remember me. <laughs> You're popular. Yeah. <laughs> they say there's a doppelganger there of you. Yeah, there's a doppelganger, doppelganger there of me because a couple of my friends said, "Dude, wh wh when'd you go to Waverly Hills? I thought you were going to invite us." I'm like, "I didn't go to Waverly Hills. Uh, we had friends that were there, and they said they saw you on the third floor." I go, "It wasn't me. Well, there's something there that looks like you." Wow. <laughs> like, damn. <laughs> Somebody tried to trying to steal your your sunshine. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Supposedly, I got a doppelganger. I'm like, okie dokie. It's good lord, man. <laughs> well, you guys have had some of the, I mean, some of the coolest experiences and some of the most terrifying experiences I think I've ever run across. I got, I got to tell you, if it in Here's the thing: how how much of your stuff actually gets on gets on TV? Do you do you guys? Uh, yeah, because I know your your shows only can be so long. Um, how much how much of that do you? How do you decide what gets on and what doesn't? I guess is my better question. Well, I mean, anything that is activity wise usually gets gets the shot. Yeah, right. I mean, I mean, I don't know if you had seen any of the four episodes that were in season one, but we do have the shot where the Furby gets turned by itself and in. Mm -hmm. the, St. Albans. In St. Albans. We're also right. being cussed out at St. Albans in the bowling alley. That's where I got kicked in St. Albans, too. Yeah, it shows oh, that. That, that was where? It's St. Albans Sanatorium. It's on, mm -hmm. it's on episode one. Uh, episode what? two is OSPH. We have gotten all kinds of different things we've gotten there. That's part of the episode. We've My favorite is uh, re recording the sound of the elevator door opening and closing, and there's no power in that shaft. Yeah. And I guess that we're not the only team that has no. happened to mm -hmm. because there was one team and they got kind of in trouble for it, but they wanted to prove a point. Mm 
Yeah. They had the same thing happen to them and they broke in the elevator door that's behind it that runs the mechanisms of the elevator to make sure that there was no power going to the elevator. Yeah. And they ended up busting the lock off that door and got in. Of course, they got in trouble for it, but he said they were proving a point because they wanted to make sure there was no power going to that elevator. Yeah. And right. so. And there was no power going to the elevator. They they proved it, but uh, we had the same experience too. And it shows that being it dinged, it did the rotunda mm-hmm. as if mm-hmm. it was moving, mm-hmm. and then it dinged again, like and it sounded like the door was trying to open. But don't forget, I got pushed out of the X-ray room. That was fun. Now we also had camera, which we that one didn't make footage because we didn't have a camera on it. Oh, I know, but that's so cool though. The first time we were there, yeah, Old South we end up having camera damage on one of our uh, DVR footage. It still broke to this day. Yeah, uh, one of our cameras got picked up and thrown. Oh, for Pete's sake! <laughs> well, well, here's the thing: you got to check this out. Since I am a musician, we don't use tripods because tripods can easily fall over. You just barely. Touch the darn thing and down oh, it goes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Since, since I'm a musician, we use the heavy duty round mic stands. We have the mic pole. We clamp our cameras on. I mean, we're talking, this thing is sturdy. You mm-hmm, have to mm-hmm. have a lot of force just to push that thing down. Well, the, the camera that she's talking about was already clamped on. It was the last camera that we were going to set up. There are no cables attached to it. Just the camera, and that's it. She's watching the DVR, and she sees the camera go straight down. And uh, the weather covering that's on the camera shot clean off, and it cracked the glass on the front of the camera. And she's freaking out. I'm upstairs with my camera guy in OR2, and she's frantically trying to get a hold of me on the radio. Well, the sad thing is, you're in OR. Whatever material is in the wall, it deflects RF signals, so... You can't get a signal in there until I left the, the room, and that's when I got her on the radio. And I'm like, what? She goes, we have equipment damage, hardware failure. I'm like, huh? And she told me what happened. And I'm like, cool. I didn't <laughs> care. So I go downstairs, go ahead, look at the damage. And she's like, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's broken. Well, I hooked it up, and darn thing worked. But the IR portion of it is shot. So we now use this one to monitor base camp because it needs to work in light. But, yeah, that camera was actually pushed forward like, uh, you know, someone just had their hand on, on the camera and just, just hit it forward. But they had to take a huge amount of force to actually make that mic stand move forward because those bases, those things are heavy. You throw that at someone, you're going to knock them out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, um, anybody who's been on on stage singing knows those things are not, they're not easy to tip over. You see people play with them and stuff on stage, but it's they're not easy to move around. Oh, yeah, and if you watched uh, episode four and season one, um, we had a camera that moved at the Monroe house. Mm-hmm. Basically, what it did is the camera moved itself. There was um, a REM pod that went off to only detect motion. So we were leaving, going down the hall. We're in the living room. All of a sudden, the thing's going off because of detect motion. So I'm outside with Matt Benton, and we're at base camp, in the trailer, and all of a sudden, he sees the camera move, and he's like, are you guys doing that? And I'm like, no, they're in the living room, and it moves again. To show you how powerful that these things are so um, sturdy, he runs in and slams right into that uh, camera. The thing spins and goes right back to where it was. It didn't 
all over. I mean, he hit it. But yeah, we had the camera move all by itself uh, at the Monroe house in the, the planet room is what they call it. Right. I haven't seen that episode yet. Yeah, you got to check it out. It's pretty cool. The only thing I don't like about season one is the way that we actually did the the evidence review. Our uh, producer said it would be a good idea to do at the very end, we do an evidence review where we like sit at a table and go over it. I didn't like the idea, but we did it anyway. Right. And, it looks, and it looks really stupid. Would, would you rather do a concurrent uh, yeah. evidence? Yeah, I would like it like when it happens, then do the replay. And then maybe just do at the very end when the show is over, kind of do like a, a replay of everything that kind of happened, but not all of it, just some of it. Right, yeah, just like, at a like table. highlights. Yeah, but sitting at a table talking about it, it's just, yeah, it's, it's no. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. You, if you're, from a pure entertainment standpoint, when you're in the middle of watching the show and something happens, that's when, that's the moment that you want to, to experience it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. So, well, guys, um, what, what, uh, what do you see as far as the future of of the show? As far as uh, you guys doing investigation, I know you talked about some future projects you've got going on. Um, in the in the immediate future, what do, what do y'all have going on other other than the couple of things we talked about? Well, we've got a couple of documentaries that we're working on. Uh, uh-huh. We have our movie that we're working on the side. Uh, but that's I, for the production company. But that's for the production company, yeah. So right, we, you're you're uh, you wrote the, you're writing the screenplay for that, aren't you, Paula? Yes, I am. Awesome. And it's based on one of our locations that we did in season one. Yep. Oh. Saint Albans Saint Sanatorium. I went back, and like I said, I'm a history buff. I love to research stuff. And after we did an investigation, I said there was more to. St. Albans, and I just felt like I needed to get into what the patients' minds would have been like. And mm-hmm. I filtered through, and I took, and I looked at every death certificate of every person that had passed away there. Two of them stood out to me very, very dearly to where I wanted to find out more background knowledge. Why did they come there? How did they become there? And, and what would they have been like for them, what they go through? while they were there and so we went uh, I did some investigating and I found some of the stories and I combined the stories together made up sort of my own character based on these two ladies lives uh, betrayance of of basically a time when you went through depression you went through death you went through uh, the loss of a child uh, several different things that went into bat uh, Losing your husband at war, uh, different concepts, different uh, strange things. And and you find out that, you know, different things happen unexpectedly and causes a woman to lose her mind. And and there was like lots of reasonings why a woman or a man would have went to an asylum. And there is like a list that's a mile and a half long of different kinds of strange things, a reason why. And... And so I took that and I built off of that on factual stuff to build into this screenplay about this about this woman. And she's one of those that likes to keep a journal. So she writes everything. So it's in a journal of prospect ideas of coming to life. 
and you will see this in the footage of her writing a lot in her journal. And so it's one of those deals that you're just you're you're taking what's on the paper and making a visual into the minds of one of these patients. And so that's what I'm working on. Yeah, we've already started filming for it, so it would have been interesting. Yeah, it sounds really cool. We just got so much stuff going on. People ask us, how do you find time to have free time? Or do you even know what free time is? <laughs> I mean, we plan something. At least once a month, we have actual date night. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, on, I mean, we've been together since 2012. We just got married June 23rd of last year. So, yep. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And so we still make time for each other. And we, it's just, you know... Our, ki- our kids are grown. They've moved out. They have their own lives now. So it's just me, him, and the dog. The cat, whenever it decides to come home. And <laughs> Pretty much. Our cat is the male gigolo of the neighborhood, I'm assuming. Oh, lordy. <laughs> so we've, you know, so it's just us. We're here every night. And, and we work on stuff. We work on ideas. Uh, and... We do shows, we do podcasts, just like with you guys, and and we have fun, and then we strategize for our next project, and we'll sit and have discussions at nighttime while we're looking at the ceiling, or, oh, that sounds like a cool idea, I wonder if we can feed off of that and make it become something, and and we've got several projects on the side that we're working on making it happen. Well, you guys, you guys are definitely some of the busiest folks I've run across, uh, especially, you know, in the paranormal field, where where folks can get inundated with with projects, but you guys seem like you're you're making every bit of it work. I congratulate you on that. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. So, um, why don't you tell our tell our audience real quick how if if they want to get in touch with you guys or if they want to uh, to catch the show things like that, uh, how how they can how they can do that. Uh, you can actually catch the show by going to Amazon dot com and do a search for the paranormal journey into the unknown and you can check out season one uh you can find us on facebook just by typing in gavin kelly um type in paula purcell kelly uh you can type in phantasmic ghost hunters uh paranormal journey into the unknown our website is www.phantasmicghosthunters.com um if you want to know more about the production company it's uh entertainmentgroup.com and uh we're gonna be at a lot of uh events this year um i'm trying to actually pull them up or i think that's what paul is trying to do uh we got two events that are going to be in arkansas um one's going to be at the uh an amusement park in dog patch usa i think it is mm-hmm we're going to be at the, uh, this one is July 26th through the 28th, I believe, is the Gettysburg Battlefield Bash, of course, in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Um, we're going to be at SoCon in Mattoon, Illinois. We're actually going to be possibly in the Parasite Con at the Ohio State Reformatory, which will be in, is it in May? May 1st and 2nd or May? First weekend in May. First weekend yeah. in May. 
Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually familiar with that one. I think I think that one's in early part of May. Yeah. The same weekend as the Kentucky Derby. Oh yeah, that's right. You do know that so well, don't you? Yes, I do. <laughs> she wants to go so bad. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I will be keeping up with the horse races that day while we're there. Well. <laughs> oh wow. We've we've been we've been there before. I might have to wear a big hat that day too. Oh Lord. <laughs> Good well, Lord. I'm actually gonna try to be at that one, so I might catch you guys there. Yeah, we should. We're hopefully going to be there. Um, it's still kind of up in the air right now with the uh, the owners that are running it. So fingers are crossed, but it's a good possibility we will be there. Um, let's see. I know in twenty. Here it is. Uh, oh, they got the date on this one. No, doggum it. Uh, September six and seven, Silicon. There we go. It's yep. in Mattoon, Illinois. So we'll be there. Let's see. I'm trying to pull up the other one. You've got so much stuff that we're doing. Okay, here we go. The Dog Patch USA one is May 10th and 11th. Um, let's see. And then we have Paracon 2019. It's going to be Saturday, September 14th. Um, let's see. July 19th, we're going to be at the Ferrari Beyond the Great. This is so cool. We're going to be at the event Ferrar Beyond the Grave on July 19th. We're going to speak there at the event. And on the 20th, we're going to be uh, investigating and filming for the Paranormal Journey at the Edinburgh Manor. Still in the same state. Really? Yeah. So we're going to be doing an event and then going to film. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> A little bit. Oh, my goodness. But yeah, I mean, that's how you guys can actually find us. I mean, really, go to Google, type in Phantasmic Ghost Hunters and uh, or Gavin Kelly Space Paranormal, and you'll probably find close to 12 to 15 pages of things that we've done, radio shows that we've been on, um, videos that we have out. So we're really easy to find. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and we'll And we'll include... As, as much as we can in our show notes as far as links to, to so folks can, can follow you guys because y'all y'all are a neat couple. You're doing a lot of incredible things. And I'm, I'm just, every time y'all talk, I'm, I'm more and more impressed by what you're doing and what, you, what you're accomplishing. So, it's, again, congratulations. Great work on that, guys. I, I, I applaud you for sure. Well, thank you. We appreciate it. Yes. Yep. Well, um, and again, I, I I appreciate you guys being on the show. We're gonna we're gonna go ahead and close it out now. Um, but I, again, I appreciate you guys being on the show again. That's uh, Gavin Kelly and Paula Kelly, guys. And this uh, the name of the show is the Paranormal Journey into the Unknown. I wish I had a better voice to really make that boom. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you guys check it out and check out the show notes and, and follow these guys because I guarantee you will not be disappointed. Thanks, thanks a lot, Paula. Thanks a lot, Gavin, for, for being on the show. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having us. Yes. We, we appreciate it. Well, thank thanks, you very guys. much. Well, guys, that is going to do it for this week's episode of True Paranormal, the podcast. As I said, it was a great conversation that we had with Gavin and Paula. And you guys make sure to check the show notes and check out their show and their upcoming shows. I know they've got a lot of great things in the works and every bit of it is worth your time. Believe me. 
Also this week, as usual, we're going to try to highlight a podcast that we have kind of discovered and fallen in love with in hopes that you guys will check them out and fall in love with them as well. And this week, the gem that I found was a podcast called Tennish Podcast. It's kind of an odd name. It's 10ISH Podcast. And what Nick and Brandon, who are the hosts of the podcast, do is every week they take a top 10 list. And this is not their opinion. They derive these lists from studies and from polling agencies and things like that. They're not just saying, well, these are our top 10 favorite dog names or anything like that. These are actually lists that people have come up with that have some validity to them. And they, one person has the list and one person tries to guess what the list is and tries to guess what is on it and what is not on it things like that and they're funny funny guys it's definitely worth a listen and the great thing is like i said you can't really argue with the documentation on the list but that doesn't stop me from every time they have a list i try to argue with them over the headphones about what should be and should not be on the list and i think i'm probably not the only person who does that but at any rate here's the promo for tennis podcast Hi, my name is Nick. I'm Brandon. We are the hosts of the Tennis Podcast, where every week we cover a different top tennis list. We cover lists such as the highest grossing films of all time, the best selling musicians of all time, the the sexiest mogwais, the richest leprechauns, the all this and more we cover on the Tennis Podcast. I had more. You can find us on all podcast players, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. All you got to do is search for 10ISH podcast. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TennisPod. And Brandon, what will we do if the listeners don't check out our podcast? We'll cut your fucking head off. Don't make us cut your fucking head off. Listen to the Tennis Podcast. Bye. Okay, guys, so be sure to check out Nick and Brandon on Tennis Podcast. And if you do, make sure to give them a rating and a review and let them know that you heard about them on True Paranormal, the podcast. They probably get a kick out of that. Uh, and also, while you're doing ratings and reviews, if you would go ahead and give us a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to us on, we would really appreciate it, uh, especially on iTunes because that bumps us up in the listing, which gets us a little bit more visibility, things like that. So anytime that you guys could do that, we would appreciate it. Also, if you are on Facebook or Twitter, be sure to follow us on Twitter at True Para Podcast and on Facebook at obviously True Paranormal Dash the Podcast, which a lot of you guys do follow us on there and go back and forth with us on that and we really appreciate it. And that's also a great place to share your stories. So like next episode we are definitely gonna get into sharing some more listener stories and that's a great spot that if you guys have an experience or you guys have a ghost story that you want it to share and have on our broadcast that you can do that. Just hit the message us button or the email us button. Most people actually just hit the message us button and we get a lot of those off of Facebook on that way. And um, you'll be an internet podcast superstar in no time. So we really appreciate the guys that share their stories. Um, you guys absolutely are the reason that the show is here. So keep them coming when you can.
that being said, this is Leo Rizzuti. I would like to thank you guys for joining us this week and every week for that matter. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of True Paranormal, the podcast. Paranormal.